Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. Good early evening, depending on where you are, what time zone you may be. But wherever you are, whenever you hear this, understand that we're coming to you live on this Wednesday, April the 26th, 2023 at 5.51 p.m. Central Time. And we are coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Oh, it started so simply. It started with a very simple idea, an idea that I didn't think would cause the the slightest problem. I didn't think it would cause any difficulty. I didn't think it would cause any problem. I thought everything, I thought everything would be great. I, I really did. I thought I thought everything would be great. And well, it all went kind of horribly wrong. It all started when Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a devotional entry for the morning time on the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. I mean, oh, this it started off so simply. It started off so, so innocently. It started off so wonderfully. I, I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was, it was creative. It was different. It was, it, it's so simple. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, morning and evening devotional. The morning devotional is on the Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 10, where we read these words, my beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And then we listened to the audio version of Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And we realized quickly that Charles Haddon Spurgeon interpreted the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10, in a very metaphorical and allegorical way. For example, he understood my beloved, the beloved would represent Christ would represent God. My beloved spake and said unto me, rise up my love. My love is then either is us, the individual believer. It, it, it Spurgeon, I don't think really necessarily identified my beloved as the church, much, much more so as the individual believer. So my beloved is Christ and said unto me, rise up my love, my fair one. That's the individual believer. And Jesus says, come away with me, rise up and come away with me. And that means rise up and come away from worldliness, rise up and come away with me, away from placing your affections on things below, but set your affections on, on me. My, and Jesus is calling us to turn to him and a loving, passionate relationship. That's almost, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit of paraphrasing there, but that's almost how Charles Haddon Spurgeon approached the text. So I thought innocently enough, I would be like, okay, guys, today's focus is how do you interpret the Song of Solomon? Do we look at it from a metaphorical, allegorical way, or do we look at it in a more literal way? Here's what I want you to do today. And I think I gave like maybe one or two assignments. There was something simple like today, go through the entire Song of Solomon, verse by verse, go through the Song of Solomon, verse by verse, look at it from a metaphorical way. Like, like say, okay, the medical, metaphorical, allegorical way is the right way. 
And as you go through it, see if that works. See if you come to some verses where you're like, that gets a little uncomfortable. And if it does, then ask yourself, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, then is that the right way? I also said, look in the New Testament and see if the Song of Solomon is ever quoted. And if it is, is it used to point to Christ? And if it is not, do you think that should give you pause by running to the Song of Solomon and saying, this is about Jesus? I thought, I thought they were just kind of reasonable questions, giving everyone something to focus on. Right. That, that's what the today's focus is about. It's not a, a, an, a, it's not a podcast series dedicated to in-depth expositional teaching. It's a podcast series trying to, once again, hand you something spiritually to think about, to meditate on. So I threw it out there and I went on with, uh, with my day because I didn't give it much thought. Right. I mean, I mean, how can that cause any controversy? Right. How could someone be frustrated or upset with that? I mean, I mean, that, like it couldn't do anything. And the next thing you know, I got an email that was a, basically a small book. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole. I, I got a very long email where the person clearly seemed irritated, frustrated, maybe a little hint of anger. And really before it was over, I was being attacked as basically that my possible approach to the book was a fruit of basically worldly dead religion that i was silly that i was that i was not being i was disingenuous that i was blind i mean just all like all of a sudden there was like these personal attacks simply because i dared challenged that maybe we don't approach the song of solomon from an allegorical perspective it was just it was crazy so we spent two parts going through that entire email, trying to answer every logical claim and perspective. We, I tried to be fair. I tried to be calm. I tried to be respectful. There were times I wanted to do a little bit of pushback because I felt that it was unfair to me. I didn't do anything. I don't know like how I become the enemy. And even if I am the enemy, aren't you supposed to love your enemy to some level or degree? So the whole thing was just bizarre to me. And so we did two parts and we've turned that into a series. You can find it on the uh, Sermons 2.0 app or the Church One app. And uh, it is called Solomon and Hermeneutics. And you'll see Song of Solomon Disagreement Part 1, Song of Solomon Disagreement Part 2. The thing that sparked this entire debate can be found in the Today's Focus podcast series. And the Today's Focus podcast series, that episode is called, just if you want to go back and put this all in chronological order so so that you can see how this all unfolded. The original episode was called, what was the original episode called? Um, let's see here. The Song of Solomon. There we go. Song of Solomon. And uh, that was done on April the 25th. And then today we did a today's focus called The Downfall of Solomon. So there's been a lot of discussion about Solomon and the Song of Solomon and how to interpret it. And you should go back and you can put all of that in chronological order. You can listen to everything and you can draw your own conclusions. But if you, if anyone knows me, if you know me just a little bit, if anyone, like, I, I can almost tell instantaneously when people know me and when they don't know me, because typically how they treat or handle me whenever there's some kind of doctrinal or theological disagreement, right? So let me just explain it so that everyone knows. 
You don't have to attack me. You don't even have to debate me. You don't even have to argue with me. Just present your view in a clear, articulate way, demonstrating either one, you did the homework or assignment that I gave you, and two, clearly just give, you can do it in bullet statements. Here is your position and here's the reason why. I may 1000% disagree with it. I may think it's ridiculous. I may think it's the worst viewpoint in the history of humankind. But if you know me at all, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk away and I'm going to look at your position and I'm going to consider it and I'm going to think about it. And there's a good possibility that it will turn into 10, a 10 podcast, a 10 episode podcast series, 15 sermons, 20 sermons. I will work through every single one of your points. I will struggle with it. I will try to be fair with it. And I'll be more than willing to change my viewpoint in the blink of an eye. Because if you've looked at my history, you'll know I've changed my view doctrinally so many times. Because the one thing I know is I know that I am fallible, that I'm not infallible. I know that whatever interpretation I have today, and, and there's another principle I use, whatever interpretation I have today, the next time I study the passage, I throw out my old interpretation and start over. I never rely on old notes. I mean, like anyone who knows me knows all you've got to do with him is just say, here's my p- perspective and I'll be, I may disagree, but you, you don't even need to do anything. I'm going to go argue with it with myself. But for some weird reason, people either don't listen to this podcast at all, they don't know me, and they just feel like that the only way that they can get is to just disagree and argue and be disrespectful. And that typically leads me to responding in a completely different way because I'm a human being, right? With a sinful nature. And I'll kind of rise up in a more fleshly way and almost like how, and just almost just dismiss you. If you'll just be respectful instead of interrupting and arguing, right? This is typically the way it works. And you'll just say, here's my view and demonstrate that you've actually done work on the subject. Man, you, you don't need to do anything else. I'll be spending 18 hours arguing with myself. Well, you know, I don't know. That's a good point. Well, I don't really know. Wow, maybe I think I'm wrong. I need to offer an apology. I need to change my view. So that's all people have to do. It, it's really quite, I think it's a, a, a very eloquent, eloquent system, right? Because all you have to do is just present your view logically. And even if you don't present it logically, and even if you don't handle it respectfully, guess what? This person's email, I didn't think was very respectful. I don't really quite even yet, I don't think it was a very good, I don't think they articulated their view in any meaningful way. They definitely didn't do a lot of good textual arguments about why, what interpretive or hermeneutical system they were using to interpret the Song of Solomon. But here I am on a Wednesday, and what am I doing? We're going to talk more about the Song of Solomon. <laughs> what have I done? I've done two today's focuses on it and two hours plus, I think, on working through the email. And here we are doing what? Hour number three on the subject. Well, actually, you may almost almost close to hour four or hour five at this point. Because I'm willing to consider. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to introduce, this will probably take two Maybe I may be able to get this done in one part, but probably it's going to take two parts. I'm going to at least introduce a look 
Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? You got your notebook out? You got your notebook out? Do you? I mean, are you sure? Do you you have your notebook out? Because we are going to look at four different interpretations of the Song of Solomon. Four different interpretations. Now, if you think there are only four, (laughs) well... You know, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you, right? Okay, I, I, there, there's more than four, ladies and gentlemen. There's more than four. I don't know exactly where the number would be. I think it may be five, maybe six. I don't know. There's probably 10, 15. So, and once again, that, that's, I just want to just tell you, that's the thing that frustrates me so much about Christianity. Christians don't agree on anything. And we clearly don't agree on how to interpret the Song of Solomon. We don't agree on how to interpret the Song of Solomon. We just don't. So guess what? We're going to look at the four different interpretations. As we look at the four different interpretations, we'll consider at least one article trying to explain these four interpretations. We may do our own work on all four. We may review some sermons that put forth one of these, all four interpretations. We're, we're just going to, I don't know how long this series is going to be. I was possibly going to do like a book background study on the Song of Solomon at Victory Baptist Church tonight, but things did not work out. So I'm not going to be there tonight. I'm going to be here. We're not having in-person services this evening. So I thought, well, then let's just, let's just do, let's start this. Let's look at four Four different ways of interpreting the book, the Song of Solomon. Now, here's what I always challenge people. Whenever we're kind of involved in a a series or a study or a Bible study exercise, you know what I tell you to do? Go find whatever passage we're studying. Like for the Bible study exercise right now, people are supposed to be working on Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 4. And they need to be reading it, reading it, reading it, living it, breathing it. And, and, And so guess what? I want you to just read and read and read and read and read and read the Song of Solomon over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the more times you read it, ask yourself, how do you think this was meant to be understood? To its original audience, to the people who originally read the Song of Solomon, did they stop and go, I think this is a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. I think this is an allegory of God and Israel, like are all the different ways of interpreting it. How do you think they understood it? How do you think they understood it? Now, how did they understand it over time? Well, Clearly, we know an allegorical approach becomes pretty prominent. Why? Well, there were very there were entire schools of hermeneutical thought that promoted the allegorical perspective and that which dominated the early church. But let's dig into this. Are you ready? Here we go. The four different interpretations of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. I, 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 and for some of my titles, I want to use Song of Songs, but I don't know if everyone is familiar with that, that, that phrase. I, I think most people are familiar with Song of Solomon. I don't know. Are you more familiar with Song of Songs or Song of Solomon? That would be a good question to ask people, right? I, I would, that, that would be like a poll question I would ask people uh, tonight, but okay. Um, you can email me. <laughs> are you familiar with the, the phrase, the title Song of Songs, or are you more familiar with Song of Solomon? If you saw Song of Songs, would you immediately know what's being referenced? All right, but here we go. All right, here we go. Here are the four main interpretations 
of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Number one. Or should I start with number four and then go to number one like I'm doing a billboard countdown? Okay, no. Number one, the allegory of God's love for Israel. An allegory of God's love for Israel. An allegory of God's love for Israel. So let's go to the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10, and see how this would work. My beloved, that's God, spake and said unto me, rise up, my love, that is Israel, my fair one, and come away. This is God calling to Israel, rise up and come with me. So it's God and Israel. Now, I, now there's some may say, oh, it's spiritual Israel, but I think that this school of thought would say that that's national Israel actual the nation of Israel. This is God's love. This is an allegory of God's love to Israel. Now, in some ways, that makes to me, if you're going to make it an allegory, that makes far more sense than saying it's an allegory of Christ and the church or Christ and the believer. This would be, to me, would make much more sense just because it's in the Old Testament. It's Solomon, the king of Israel. It would make much more sense if you're going to say it's allegorical. It would make more sense to me to say it's an allegory of God and Israel, not Christ in the church or Christ in the individual believer or God in the individual believer. So even if you're going to go with the allegorical argument, you would have to then determine which allegorical interpretation is right. That's what cracks me up when someone's like, it's an allegory and it's about God's love for me. Wait, 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 wait. You allegorical people don't even agree. <laughs> You do realize God's love to the nation of Israel, that's different than Christ's love to you as a Christian or to the church, right? You, unless you destroy the distinction between Israel and the church, well, then it would just be one allegorical system, but there's not agreement on that. So even within the allegorical camp, there's not agreement. That cracks me up. That cracks me up. Because someone who wanted to argue the allegorical argument wanted to attack me. You should probably go find all of your allegorical people and y'all have your own meeting and then get back to me on which allegorical one is the correct way. So the first way is the allegory, the first method or the first way of interpreting the Song of Solomon. You could call it the first theory on how to interpret it. We almost want to call these theories is that it's an allegory of God's love for Israel, an allegory for God's love for Israel. All right. Now, here's what I would challenge you to do. Read the Song of Solomon. Read the Song of Solomon. It is eight chapters, or you can just grab the Bible app and listen to it. It's eight chapters. And as you listen to it, are there any textual clues Listen to me, textual clues. No, don't go find a book that gives you that hermeneutic. Don't go find a sermon. Just read the Song of Solomon and just say, is there a clue here that would be like, I think this is about God in Israel. What would be your textual clues that would be like, obviously this is God in Israel. This is clear. This is clear. It's as clear as whatever clear you think clear is, however clear you think it is. So I, I, that's the first thing. That's the first possible, uh, that's the first school of thought. This is an allegory. It's an allegory, but it's of God and Israel. Number two, second way of possibly interpreting 
the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. You ready? Here we go. It's an allegory of Christ's love for his bride. It's an allegory of Christ's love for his bride. Now, this typically would mean that this is then an allegory of Christ and his love for the church at large in general. It's a Christ of, uh, it's an allegory of Christ's love for the church. Now, please note, they separate that from Christ's love for Israel because that's making a distinction between Israel and the church. So, hey, this is not about Israel. No, 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 no. Even though Solomon writes it, even though it's in the Old Testament, this is mysteriously, this is a, a, a detailed, how many chapters? Eight chapters? don't want to say it incorrectly, eight chapter allegory of Christ and the church just found in the middle of the Old Testament. Eight chapters in the middle of the Old Testament showing you Christ's love for the church. Now, but is the church a mystery? Was the church a mystery not revealed to the New Testament? Or wasn't? I don't know. I mean, just ask, just asking interpretive questions. That's what I do. I think it would be weird that you would have eight chapters dedicated to an allegory about Christ and the church found in the Old Testament, written by an Old Testament king of Israel. I don't know. I don't put it this way. I don't know if anyone would have read it that way <laughs> until much. I see. Oh, here, what's the date of the writing on the Song of Solomon? When was it written? And about what, at what point would someone would have said, wait a minute, guys, wait, 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 we figured it out. We figured after all of this time, we have figured it out. Really, it's an allegory of Christ and the church. Just, just, again, just interpretive. These are just basic hermeneutical type of questions one should ask. So. The first possible way of interpreting the book is that it's an allegory of God and Israel. That one, if I'm going to go with the allegorical approach, that makes far more sense considering who it's written by. And well, you can look up the date when it was written. I mean, obviously, if it's written by Solomon, Solomon has to be alive, right? Unless it just has his name, but he didn't write it. But if he wrote it, you can just determine when did Solomon live and it would be somewhere during his lifetime, right? Oh, see, I'm helping you out. So if you figure out the when and the who and to whom, you may be getting some clues. So if it's going to be an allegory, God in Israel makes more sense than Christ in the church. Just makes no sense that in the middle of the Old Testament, we get an eight chapter allegory of Christ in the church, unless you're going to replace Israel with the church. Okay, but you get the idea. Here's number three. Now, so if we go with Christ in the church, let's go back to Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 10. How would we interpret it? My beloved, that's Christ, said unto me, rise up, my love. That's the end. That's the, that's the church. The me here is the church. Rise up, my church, and come away. This is God. This is Christ calling the church to rise up from their worldliness, from their spiritual slumber, and to set their focus on Christ, that this is, this is a call to the church at large. The church at large, all right? Now, here's interpretation number three. You ready? Here's interpretation number three. An extended type of the Christ church marriage illustration. 
This is an extended type of the Christ church marriage illustration. Now, I don't even know if I understand this one, but I guess the, uh, the idea is, and this would be weird. Okay. All right. Okay. If you, if you have your Bible, if you go to Ephesians, All right. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, we read these words in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. So this interpretation would say that this is an extended, I'm going to use their exact words, because I've never heard of this one, an extended type of the Christ church marriage illustration. So in a roundabout way, the first Christchurch marriage illustration is, and I think it's the wrong way. I think you've got to word this correctly, because if this is an extended illustration of the Christ marriage illustration, if it's this is an extended one, it would be really the original one. I would have to be, this is the original Christchurch marriage illustration. This is the original one. And then Paul extends it, right? Because this can't be the extension of that which hasn't happened yet, right? You can't extend what hasn't been said yet. What Paul says is not going to happen for a very long time. So this can't be an extension of that illustration because it would be the original illustration. So this would be the original illustration of the Christ church marriage illustration. This would be the the original. And then Paul extends it or explains it or clarifies it in Ephesians. So when you go through this, you would be seeing the, and it illustrated of how Christ and the church are married and a romantic, passionate, spiritual love that is being illustrated in the language that is being used. It's, it's the marriage relationship between Christ and the church described in the way the Song of Solomon describes it. Now, I, I mean, I think, I think that's just going to get really, really, really odd, but you, but by my all means, try it, read it that way. So okay, let me go back again. What I want you to do. I want you to read the Song of Solomon. All eight chapters over and over and over. And I want you to look for any textual clues that would say, oh, this is, this is God in Israel. What are the textual clues? Just write them down. Textual clues that this is God in Israel. Make a chart. Here's, here's all the verses that I think that, that give me a clue. I should interpret that way. Secondly, read the Song of Solomon, all eight chapters, and then write down all the verses that this is Christ and his bride. This is Christ and the church. And then number three would be, this is the original Christ church marriage illustration. Write down all the verses that would seem to indicate that. I have a hard time with that because to me, the second and the third are the same there. The second and the third are the same, but they're trying to draw some kind of 
distinction between those two. And I, I think it's maybe a distinction without any real distinction. I, I, that, that one is just weird. All right. That's just weird. All right. Let's go with a fourth one. The view that exalts love as the most powerful and desirable human emotion. That the purpose of this book, the fourth way to interpret it, is it's just showing the how powerful and desirable love is when it comes to human emotions. It's, it's really a love letter showing how powerful and desirable human love is. That's the way they describe it. Well, we'll, we'll read a little bit more how they articulate these. Now, I could add more interpretations. I could add more interpretations because I don't think that that covers it. But I, but I labeled this four interpretations, so I'm not going to offer any more. I may have to do a, a, a podcast called Additional Interpretations, but these are the four that are given, at least in one source. All right. If you look up any books on this, you probably you can just do a search for how to interpret or the different interpretations of the Song of Solomon. You're probably going to get a lot more. I I, want to give you more right now. I want to. I want to. I I want to. But but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just going to leave it with four. I'm going to I'm going to smack myself and stop myself from doing this. All right. I'm going to I'm going to stop myself from doing this. Are you ready? Let's see how they explain this. But what I want you to do is go through each one of those, those type of interpretations. Read the book yourself. Don't, don't look at commentaries and go, okay, is there any textual clue that this is an allegory of God's love for Israel? Number two, is there any textual clues that this is an allegory of Christ's love for the church? Number three, is there any textual clues that this is the original Christ church marriage illustration. This is the original, uh, you know, and Paul's going to extend it in Ephesians. And then number four, do you read it and say, does this simply exalt love as the most powerful and desirable of human emotions? What textual clues would say that that's what this is showing? Human love, the power of it, the desirability of it. And then just, just read the book over each time and just Come up with the verses that you think you, you don't need. You don't need anybody else. You don't need. Look, I don't care if someone says you're wrong and you're not even saved. Well, you can make all the threats and and attack me any way you want in an email. I don't really care because the text determines it. It's not your yelling and screaming. It's, it's the text has to determine it. And I think if you look for textual clues, I think some of these hermeneutical options are going to just fade away. I just think they're just, just any reasonable person is going to be like, what are you talking about? Like some of that, don't you see it? That's Christ. Don't you see it? That's the church. And I think you're going to look, I think any reasonable person look at them going, no, that's you with a vivid imagination. And if you take your imagination and really read what these verses are saying, your illustration just got really uncomfortable. But hey, I you know, what do I what do I know? Now let's see how they handle some of this. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. The first view, the allegory of God's love for Israel, appears to be what the Jewish rabbis taught the Jews. This view allegorizes the passage and Song of Songs and applies it to the Jewish people. For example, Song of Songs. 
chapter 1, verse 5. I am black, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. The Jewish rabbis taught that Israel was black with sin because they made the golden calf at Sinai. However, Israel was made attractive by receiving and obeying the Ten Commandments. Another example is taken from Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 13. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breast. The rabbis interpret this as the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle is between the two cherubim that stood over the Ark of the Covenant. This view tries to spiritualize the text when the text is not actually saying what the interpreter believes it is saying. The problem with allegory is that the interpreter can make the text say virtually anything they want. There needs to be some of the, uh, some form of validation in the interpretation for this view to work. Like you literally, you can make it say anything. Now I'm going to go back through some of that again here in just a second. All right. But I just, as soon as I just start reading those interpretations, it's just bizarre. This is like, how in the world are you coming up with this stuff? There is no, like, it's just like, this is as, it's just, it's just complete anarchy. It's just complete chaos. There's no, there's no one, there's no one controlling this. You can just come along and, and please note though, now this is very important. If the Jews, if you say, oh no, the Jews are right. This is all allegory. Then are the Jews wrong if they allegorize? I don't know. Passages that you would say point to the virgin birth of Christ. Like if they, if they, go, because here's what they'll do. When the Jews allegorizes certain passages, you'll come along and go, absolutely not. That's a literal prophecy of a literal Christ and a literal Messiah who is literally going to suffer and literally going to die on the cross. How dare you allegorize that? Oh, wait, Song of Solomon, you're good to go. Let's allegorize that baby. Let's, let's turn that into full blown allegory. Well, when does the, so when is the allegory right? And when is allegory wrong? You've got to be using some ruled Genesis. Is that an allegory or did God literally create the world in six literal 24 hour days? Or is it just one big allegory? Is Genesis three allegory or was there really someone named Adam and Eve and they really sinned because Satan really used a snake that really came into the garden and, or is that all allegory? The flood, is that just an allegory? Now we've done, I've done a podcast episode before on and the Jewish allegorical approach to lots of things in the Old Testament. And as soon as you do that, you'll get emails going, Don't, you shouldn't even let, let anyone know the Jews allegorize the text. Well, now I've got people going, hey, Song of Solomon, it's... It's allegory. And even in that email, they pointed to the early Jews because they, the Jews saw it as an allegory. Well, that's your that's your go-to argument? Well, at what point are you going to tell the Jews they were wrong and using allegory? See, it just becomes like this subjective nonsense. And this is the thing that drives many people to just throw their hands up and go, you know what? Forget it. Forget the Bible. Forget theology. Forget the church. You people can't agree on anything. You can read the text and make it say whatever you want it to say. There is no truth because you guys don't know truth. You're making it up. And and they have every right to get frustrated with it. I've been involved in theology and Bible study for basically my entire adult life, and I get sick of it. 
that this is the allegor- the allegorical approach by the Jews. We call it the Jewish allegorical approach. Let me read this again. Just, you got to hear this. Are you ready for this? So the first view is the allegory of God's love for Israel. It appears to be what Jewish rabbis taught the Jews. This view allegorizes the passage and song of so- uh, the passages and song of songs and applies it to the Jewish people. Here's an example. You ready? Listen to this. This is just crazy. All right, here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse five. I'm going to read it from the translation they have here. I am black, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, the Jewish rabbis taught that Israel was black with sin because they made the golden calf at Sinai. However, Israel was made attractive by receiving and obeying the Ten Commandments. Well, when did they ever obey the Ten Commandments? Never. So then they never became attractive. And if they never became attractive, then why is the beloved in the Song of Solomon seeming so attracted to her? So God, so Israel became attractive to God because they obeyed the Ten Commandments. It, it, so that, that, uh, okay, well, obviously it's from a Jewish perspective, but that's just, that's just, it doesn't even make any sense because the Jews never obeyed anything. The whole Old Testament is just their never ending sin, but okay. Another example is taken from Song of, Sol- Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse 13. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breast. Now, this, this interpretation, I mean, come on. The, rabbi, the rabbis interpret this as the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle is between the two cherubim that stood over the Ark of the Covenant. This view tries to spiritualize the text when the text is not actually saying what the interpreter believes it is saying. The problem with allegory is that the interpreter can make the text say virtually anything they want. There needs to be some form of validation in the interpretation for this view to work. In other words, you've got something you want it to say, you make it say it, you give yourself some validation, and then you think you're right. And then you attack anyone who doesn't see your allegory. If I don't see your allegory, again, just like the email I got, I'm blind I have a dead faith. I'm worldly. I'm fleshly. I'm silly. I'm disingenuous. I I don't, all the things that I supposedly, or maybe I just don't have the imagination you have when it comes to the Bible. Now you get, you get me outside of the Bible. Let's go. We can have, we can have imagination. We can have imagination marathon. I'm all with you. We can fly away to anywhere you want to go. But when it comes to the Bible, I'm just not so down with that imagination is my hermeneutic. That's just, isn't that, is that not a crazy interpretation? All right. Second. Remember the second interpretation is the allegory of Christ's love for his bride, right? This view follows a similar pattern and encounters similar problems. This view takes Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, as meaning the church is ugly and unattractive because of sin. However, the church is now spiritually lovely because she has been converted. The flowers have already appeared in the land. 
The time has arrived for the pruning. The vines and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. This view takes the flowers and the needed pruning as referring to Christ coming into the world, while the voice of the turtle dove being heard means the apostles have preached the gospel to the world. This view believes that the bundle of myrrh and song, song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 13 is Jesus Christ. The two breasts are... The, are are the two are the two testaments the old and new testament and he provides the bridge between the two testaments <laughs> i don't even have a hard time even reading that with a straight face that is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard so the two breasts are the two testaments and christ lies between the two breasts as a bridge <laughs> similar to the first view This view is problematic because there is no way to validate these interpretations and the spiritualizing of the text can be taken anywhere to mean anything. So two breasts are either the two cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant or the the two testaments. The two breasts are the Old and New Testament and Christ lays between them as a bridge. Wow. I'm trying. I'm trying not to laugh, ladies and gentlemen. But come on, does not. Am I the only one who finds that? Like, what in the world are you talking about? What? What? Do, I mean, like. Okay, Let, let's go to the third one. Let's go to the third one. <laughs> that is so crazy. Okay, am I the only one? Okay, the third view which sees a connection of the song with the highest level fulfillment in Christ and the church is the extended type of Christ church marriage illustration, also known as the typical view. This view envisions Solomon as typifying Christ and the, uh, uh, and the woman as the church, therefore picturing Christ as the bridegroom and his love for his bride, the church. This view This view is uh, similar to the allegorical models discussed above, but it differs by interpreting Solomon as literal historical person. Also, the view does not seek a mystical meaning for every detail as the allegorical approach does. The weakness of this view are that there are no scriptures indicating that this is a type of Christ and there are no verses in Song of Songs that can be interpreted as indicating the various aspects of Solomon's life are divinely intended to represent a type of Christ. And not only that, would you not get a little concern to say in the Song of Solomon that Solomon is a type of Christ? Would that not concern you a little bit? Because which woman is he pursuing? Wife number one or wife number 652 or wife number 700 or or concubine number 200 or concubine number 256. Oh, that's true. Uh, Someone, someone said, yeah, we should, we should probably come up uh, with our own, like as many, well, well, I think what we should do is we should say, you're right. The allegorical, this, and I know this is very sarcastic and I'm not going to do this, but I almost want to turn on the microphone and go and, and, and almost, and I know this would be not disingenuous. This would be silly. This would not be fair, but I almost want to turn on the microphone and go, ladies and gentlemen, after much thought and study, 
I have concluded that the Song of Solomon should be interpreted as an allegory. I will now spend the next hour going verse by verse and giving you the correct allegorical interpretation. And then I just make up stuff. I just go, I just go absolutely ridiculous. I just go absolute, this, this is an allegory of this. And this is an allegory and just go crazy. And then, and then people would get all mad. They would get all offended. They would get all ticked off and go, how dare you? That's not what that's, but that's not what that is a picture of. But according to who makes the rules? If, if two breasts can be the Old and New Testament, or if the two breasts can be cherubim, if wh- whatever's laying between the two breasts can literally be Jesus as a bridge, then for crying out loud, I can literally say anything. Okay, all right. Well, someone just says, I didn't mean to do something sarcastic. That's very unlike me. Okay, and insert sarcasm. Okay, maybe they maybe they were saying, let's do that. But I mean, there's a part of me that wants to do that just to prove a point. Now, I have done that in the past when I got into arguments with charismatics. I did. Uh, and this is a bad thing I did. One time I got, I was getting bombarded with charismatics. God speaks to us outside of scripture. God speaks to us outside of scripture. In fact, God told me this last, I was just getting all of these emails. So I turned on the microphone one night and I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, something amazing just happened a few hours ago. God spoke to me. Do you want to know what he told me? God told me that all of you charismatics are wrong. Your theology is wrong. You need to repent and you need to leave your charismatic church. Oh man. First of all, I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but I ticked off so many people. It was crazy. Uh, so uh, I, I, I mean, it, 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 it did not go well, but I just got so tired. I mean, like if, if God's talking to you, well, then I can say God is talking to me. And if God's telling you that I'm wrong, well, God's telling me that you're wrong, then who's hearing from God? Well, the same thing with the allegorical approach. If you can say two breasts represents the Old and New Testament, I can say the two breasts represents something completely different. All right, let's go to the next one. All right. Uh, okay, we, we looked at that one. Now, the last view, which sees the Song of Songs as exalting love is also called the literal model. This view exalts love as the highest and purest human emotion, as well as exalting marriage as a created institution, it warns the couple to maintain the sanctity of the marriage and maintain a vow against premarital sex. This view is the only objective mode of interpretation and seeks to keep the normal literal meaning of the words. This model provides a structure and unity to the book that others do not by looking at the major sections, courtship, chapter 1, Uh, verse 2 to chapter 3, verse 5, wedding, chapter 3, verse 6 to chapter 5, verse 1, the ongoing or maturing marriage, chapter 5, verse 2 to chapter 8, verse 4, and concludes with the nature of love, chapter 8, 5 through 7. 
and how the love of the couple began, chapter 8, 8 through 14. Using the literal method, we can see that beyond the symbolism, the maiden tells her love that she has reserved the fruits of love exclusively for him. Now, I do believe the literal model is the only thing that works. Now, we, we could debate in exactly how we understand it literally, right? Do we, is this some purified version of love and marriage that shows the sanctity of marriage and, and the importance of, of staying away from premarital sex? I don't know. I have a hard time reading Solomon saying anything like that, considering he was sleeping with a thousand women. I, I have a hard time with that, you know, 700 wives. He's, he's a serial polygamist obviously a serial adulterer, and he becomes an idolater. I don't, I don't know. But but maybe, maybe I could look at it that way. Maybe I would have to read it and see. But that's the literal model. That's the literal model. Now, they give an outline of the book there. You may want to write down their suggested outline. And as you read the book, you can see if, if you agree with this. Here we go. All right. Here's the major sections. They say chapter one, verse two. Chapter 1, verse 2 to chapter 3, verse 5 is courtship. Chapter 3, verses 6 through chapter 5, verse 1 is the wedding. Chapter 5, verse 2 to chapter 8, verse 4 is the ongoing or maturing marriage. And chapter 8, 5 through 7 is the nature of love. And then chapter 8, verses 8 through 14 is the love of the couple, how the love of the couple began. It says, examining evidence, I hold the literal view as the best model to interpret Song of Songs. While many Bible teachers use allegory to depict God's relationship to Israel or Christ's relationship to the church, Song of Songs gives zero indication that this is the case, and it should be viewed as extolling human love and marriage. This view seems to be the most in line with God's view on the beauty, wholesomeness, and purity of marriage and stands in contrast to the world's views on sex. Solomon is hardly a role model for the faithfulness of marriage, and the maiden was just another number in his long list of lovers. Chapter 6, verse 8. Now see, I... Whoa, hang on. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8. There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't sound so faithful, does he? He doesn't sound so faithful, does he? Maybe what we've tried to do is we've tried to so clean up the Song of Solomon, whitewash it, and turn it into this. It's, it's talking about something so pure. Maybe it's just Solomon expressing emotion in a very poetic way. And maybe not everything here is wonderful and great. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? No, 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 no. I got I to gotta make it sound like it's, it's ready for Sunday school. Maybe Song of Solomon's not necessarily ready for Sunday school or for the pulpit. Just a thought. However, the literal view gives the reader the most objective and cohesive reading of the book that matches with the rest of Scripture while maintaining the integrity of the book. Some of this is taken from basic Bible interpretation um, uh, by Roy B. Zuck. Basic Bible interpretation by Roy B. Zuck. I believe it was published in 1991, and some of this comes from page 223. 
there you have it. Four possible interpretations to the Song of Solomon. You read the book. Look for textual clues. I think it's fascinating that Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8, seems to clearly indicate that Solomon isn't so pure. Well, I thought that was a picture of Christ. I don't know. You you work on it tonight. You work on it tonight. I'm going to go eat some steak tacos. That's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to have some steak tacos and a big red. That's what I'm going to have with some chips. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Because right now my head hurts. <laughs> but at some point, I will try tonight to listen to the Song of Solomon. And I'm going to start maybe reading it and listening to it. Maybe just over and over and over until we've kind of finished this series. But I'd love to get your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Please, please email. Like, Give me your thoughts. Give me your feedback. Because... Uh, I like to get that feedback, right? And if you do your chart, right, going through the four interpretations and you read and you find every verse that you think gives some kind of indication that that's the right way of interpreting the text, I'd love to see your chart and love to see which verses you include. I think some of those, you're going to be like, I couldn't find a verse. (laughs) I know, shocking, isn't it? Because I think you have to presuppose and then you have to try to make up the the. I mean, come on. When you start saying the two breasts are the New Testament and Old Testament, I'm sorry. You're losing me, man. You're losing me completely there. You're you're losing me completely. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time with that. Just, Just think. Hand the Song of Solomon to just the average church member and go, this is an allegory. Go read it and tell me what it, and, and bring back your allegory. What? Give me the allegory. Tell me what each thing represents. Tell me what it pictures and just see what you would come up with. And you say, well, they may not be able to do that. Whoa, whoa, slow down because I thought the Bible could be interpreted by the average believer. Now you're telling me the Song of Solomon would be t- too complicated. And so only a pastor sitting in an office who can make up good things about what these things represent they get to be the interpreter, interpreter because no average person is going to read the Song of Solomon going, I think this picture is this, and I think black represents sin, and I think breast represents new and Old Testament. And I give, uh, come on, come on now, just come on. But you tell me, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful, 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 wonderful Wednesday evening. Thanks for listening. God bless.